Hey everyone, welcome to Unpacking Perspectives. I'm Nicole Davison, your host, and today's episode is actually something that is very near and dear to my heart. It's very important to me. It's something I've been thinking a lot about. And today we're actually going to be talking about social media and how it has impacted the social emotional well-being of our younger generations. And quite frankly, probably everyone. I, I think that many of us can get something out of this episode, whether you are a college student, a parent, or somewhere in between. My guest today is someone that I thought about the math, and we've known each other, I think, for, <laughs> for 16 years. She is someone that I have admired, respected, and really, quite frankly, enjoyed working with at the time that we worked together. Jocelyn Novella, she is our guest today. And before I introduce you to her fully and have her have an opportunity to talk to you, I wanted to tell you a little bit about her background because she is truly someone that I, like I said, I've looked up to her for many years. And Dr. Novella, she is currently an assistant professor in counselor education. She's a licensed professional counselor for the state of Connecticut. And she's also an approved clinical supervisor, which in higher education means she supervises a lot of students. She actually worked at Sacred Heart University for, gosh, 24 years, which is where she and I met. And she was a college counselor there. And for the last five years she was there, she was the director of counseling at Sacred Heart University. So on behalf of our entire audience, all of our listeners, Jocelyn, I welcome you to Unpacking Perspectives. Thank you so much, Nicole. It's so exciting to be back with you and get a chance to talk to you after all these years. And as you said, right back at you in terms of the respect that we had for each other working together. So I really appreciate this opportunity. And I'm, I'm as excited as you are about the topic. Obviously, working in college counseling for all those years, I saw a lot of students with some of the classic emerging adult adolescent issues, whether it's anxiety issues, body image issues, depression, some normal developmental stuff that that people go through when they're separating from home and trying to establish their own identity, et cetera, et cetera. And, and the impact of social media is huge. And the number of conversations that we would have in a counseling session regarding social media and the, how that affected that individual student. It's really amazing and needs more focus, I feel like. So I appreciate you taking this time in the podcast to talk about it. Well, I appreciate you coming on and talking to us because this is something that has really weighed on me in the last few months, especially. I think with COVID, these past couple of years have been so challenging for everyone, really. But I think for, for those of us that have worked in higher education, we've seen such an influx of emotional issues. And, you know, you definitely were someone that I thought of. I also think a lot about when we started in this field, we didn't even have social media. And, right. you know, and, and that's something that you and I will talk about in a moment, just as far as how much it's changed. But before we get into the, the meat of what I really wanted to talk about today, you know, obviously, I've shared your background. You talked a little bit about, you know, the areas that you've worked with students, but can you tell our audience a little bit, just maybe a little bit more about your career trajectory and maybe when did you know you wanted to go into this field? Yeah, that's kind of interesting because I think I was a very typical college student in that I majored in English because I loved it. And I'm still glad that I did that as my major, but I did not have a direction in terms of career. 
<laughs> so you could you could relate to this from the students you've worked with. I was majoring in something I was interested in, but I didn't really want to be a teacher, and I didn't know what I would do with my degree once I graduated. And there were less career services available way back then when I was in undergraduate school. So I, I came out, graduated from college, and got a job in advertising as just a way to make ends meet. You know, it was like, what kinds of jobs could I do? And this was a job that I got. So I spent about six years working in advertising in Washington, D.C. And I knew that this was not going to be like long-term career goal for me. And also, I think that period post-college for me was very challenging. The transition and adjustment to just being in, as we say, the real world. I had some of my own issues with anxiety, etc., that I really needed to to go to a counselor about. I hadn't ever been in college. I should have gone, but I didn't. And so then when I kind of found my way to my own counselor and had a you know very rewarding experience, it made me feel that maybe this is something that I could do. Maybe this is something that, that I could see myself doing it and I would feel like I was actually doing something very worthwhile, especially, again, that's why I went into college counseling, because I felt like especially that age group or younger would be where you can really make a difference. And so that was the beginning of it. When I moved to Connecticut from Washington, D.C., um, after I got married, that's when I enrolled in a graduate program in counseling. So that's how, kind of how it went. And then I had a midlife career change at 50 when I said, well, if I'm going to get a doctorate and teach counseling, which you kind of need a doctorate to do, it's either now or never. I'm getting to that point in my life. So that's where the doctorate came in. So, you know, it's been a windy career path as many people have, but but a very rewarding one all the way around from doing the clinical work to now teaching. I just absolutely love it. I love your career trajectory because I can relate to it in so many levels. And I honestly, I had no idea that you worked in advertising in the beginning of your career. And, you know, similarly to me, I worked in marketing and sales. I, you know, worked down in Baltimore and I love the message just to share with our young people out there, because I say often today is not your final destination. And, you know, you have to live, you have to experience, you have to succeed and fail. And when I look at your educational background, obviously you've got your, you know, your bachelor's degree in English from Johns Hopkins, your master's in community counseling from Fairfield University. And then your doctorate, obviously, from Oregon State. But there's so much in between that, right? Your life, just your life in general. Absolutely. So, oh, I'm, I'm so Absolutely. glad you shared that. You know, because a lot of our listeners are college students and they're kind of like, well, they want to have it perfect. But Absolutely. And I understand. I think that's why I had difficulty after I graduated, because I was sort of aimless a little bit. I didn't know where I was going, what I was doing. I knew I was supporting myself and that made me feel good on some level, but somehow that doesn't seem like enough. Whereas what I try to tell people is that's a big deal when you graduate from college to support yourself financially. And then you find your way, you know, but I didn't feel it was enough. So I felt a little bit like where am I going? And I think that was part of what led to the anxiety and some of those issues that later on drew me to the field that I love. So it's interesting how it works out that way. Oh, I love it. And and I, again, on every level, I can appreciate that. I was living in Baltimore. I was independent and it's very successful. 
but something was missing. And I think as an adult, as we experience these life, just, just this whole life journey, you start to realize what's important to you. And I know I had this conversation with someone recently where we said, when you're 20, what's important to you in your 20s, it's not always going to be the same. It changes. So I love, oh gosh, Jocelyn, thank you for sharing that. I, I just really, I had no idea that your career, that that was the foundation of your career. So that, that makes yeah. to me even, I admire you even more now. So I think it's awesome. So, so one of the things I wanted to ask you, and this is kind of goes back to what we were talking about before, when you think about the time that you started in this field to now, what do you find are the most challenging issues that our adolescents are facing now versus then? I graduated from my master's program in 1995, and that's when I started my work in college counseling at Sacred Heart University. And I remember, I think it's because you're at the beginning of your career, you have really clear memories of some of those early years because everything is so new and kind of exciting. And I remember very clearly the first couple of years working with students and yes, talk about dramatically different from when, let's say, a couple of years ago, working with students at the same university. So you're figuring some of the same types of students, same demographics, et cetera, et cetera, although that's changed a little bit. You know, students would come in and talk about some of the things that they continued to come in and talk about, which are always issues, roommate issues and relationships, obviously. But it's the way that those things impacted them. Mm-hmm. So we would have conversations um, when I first was doing the work in the 90s, and it seemed that although the students were very emotionally impacted by some of, of these social relationships and obviously trying to be themselves on a college campus where they kind of didn't know anybody as freshmen and that sort of thing, and they're trying to establish who they were, they had a little bit, they were a little bit more patient with themselves to do that. And it seemed like they would take the time to reflect a little bit more. As time went on and toward the the end of the time when I was at Sacred Heart, so just a couple years ago, everything was very, very kind of fast-paced with their lives. They would want everything right away, right now, figure it out, solve the problem. They were looking to myself or any of the counselors in our office to solve things, to give them a quick fix. There was less of an ability or to sit with the uncomfortable feelings, to sit with the really difficult feelings. It was more, I'm not feeling well. This needs to be fixed right away and you need to do it. I mean, they wouldn't say it quite like that, but it was close. I think that things have changed a bit in people's ability to sit with discomfort in terms of their emotions. and. Whether, I mean, we'll get into the social media aspect of that. I'm sure that has a lot to do with it. But also, I think our culture's way of presenting that somehow we, people should, quote unquote, be happy all the time. And if you're not happy, then figure it out. There's something wrong versus it's okay. We have a range of emotions. Some of mm. those emotions could be happiness. Some of them could be neutral. 
We can be in different places at different times as part of being human beings. Yeah. And it doesn't need to be immediately fixed. Wow. You know, it's funny. As you're saying all that, I'm thinking about my son who's 12. And, you know, obviously as parents, you know, we, we try to do the right thing all the time. And, and there's so much to unpack there because, you know, he'll say sometimes, I'm sad. I'm sad. I can't go to sleep until I'm happy. And I try to say that it's okay to be sad. Sometimes we get sad. It's been a sad day. And so, wow, I, I never really thought of it that way, but you well, have kind it's of hit- hard as parents too, to say that if all the messages that young people are getting is that it's not okay. Yeah. You know, so then if your parent says to you, you know, it's okay to be sad sometimes, I think young people are thinking in their heads, no, it isn't. You know, nobody, you know, who said, who said just because you say that you need to have like a society that says it's okay to have a range of emotions. And I don't think we have that right now. We have a, we have a society that says if you're not continuously happy, something's wrong and you better figure it out. Yeah. Why do you think that is? It just well, you know, that's a very good question. Um, if I'm just hypothesizing here, and you know, there's a lot of work being done on this social emotional learning in schools, in K through twelve schools, and a lot of work done at Yale um, that Mark Brackett is doing down there on social emotional learning. So. I'm glad that there's there's research being done in this area and they're bringing it to young people and to be able to identify what it is that they're feeling and express it and be okay with it. But I do feel that maybe it has to do with the fact that if we're if we're looking at my generation, so end of the baby boomers, mm-hmm. we're still in the generation where children were to be seen and not heard. That wasn't the norm for my friends or myself to talk to our parents about emotions just Mm -hmm. wasn't the norm. Nor did our parents really have the time to listen to. I mean, I don't know that I ever tried, but I also feel like sometimes they didn't have the the wherewithal with their busy lives to really get into it with us. So I think coming out of that environment, then maybe... We went a little bit overboard in terms of not only we want people talking about their emotions, but somehow it went to we want people to always be happy. Um, so talking about emotions is great, but somehow it spilled all the way to like the other extreme where it's like, let's figure out how everybody can be really happy. And it's just not the human condition. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting for college students and the like there's that stigma of if you're not happy, you have to almost mask it or, you know, because the first thing that comes to my mind with this is how do you help someone navigate that where if they're not happy, you know, as a mom, I obviously, if my son says he's sad, I want to help him. And I'll be the first to admit I've made my mistakes where, you know, when he was little too, just trying to soothe him, you know, just, but that's something that I've seen over the years, our ability to cope has changed. And, you know, that instant gratification, you know, we hear about that all the time with young people. It's just, if they have a problem, it has to be fixed. And I love what you said before with just, sometimes you just have to sit with it and just go through it. Yeah. And say to yourself, this is a typical human experience. 
And so this is where I'll just bring in social media for a minute. We don't typically, especially young people, are now some are to, are sharing some difficulties, and you know there are some aspects of social media that give give young people the chance to connect with others who are struggling. Um, so there's there are positives to it, but many times. What happens, and I think the pandemic worsened this because we had less actual interaction, so all of the social interaction became on social media. So then it looks like everybody else is doing great, happy, really happy relationships, you know, hanging out with other people or at least looking like they're very popular or they're very liked by other people. And this immediate tendency that we have as young people anyway to compare ourselves becomes that much worse because you're looking at pictures and video and you're getting a just a literal snapshot of somebody else's life and you think that's reality Mm -hmm. and if you're not seeing them in person or you're not having any actual interaction with them which happened during the pandemic it becomes kind of reality and so it's like but look at my life. I'm sitting in my room in my jammies feeling like crap about myself. So it's that constant comparison to what we think is going on when it's not the reality of what's going on. And that message, I don't think, has, has we haven't been able to get that message across to young people, the difference between what they're seeing and what reality is. Absolutely. I think about how much has changed even in these few years with social media and you know all of the new apps I mean I, there are certain apps that I don't even involve myself with Snapchat TikTok I mean I'll, I'll receive a TikTok from someone but I don't do TikTok I keep being told I should do it for my job and you know for my you know just as a career coach and with my in, you know with the with this podcast but I think it's my it's our generation right I'm just not there yet I just I'm there's still a comfort level that I just don't have and I have seen, you know, like you said before, there are definitely benefits of social media and there are fun aspects of it and connection aspects. But the change that I've seen just with COVID, just during the pandemic alone, has created, in my opinion, almost an epidemic of sadness and anxiety and depression and comparison. And and I, I guess... One of the reasons I wanted us to talk about this is how you can help parents navigate the emotions that their children are having. This isn't even college age. This is high school, middle schoolers. You know, I'm I'm sheltered by this to some degree because I have a 12-year-old son that, you know, he's pretty introverted. He loves his friends. He, you know, he has his his crew but he has zero interest in social media. So thankfully, even when I tried to create, oh, it's amazing. He he teaches me every day. I tried to create a TikTok during COVID and he's like, no, don't do it. <laughs> so he doesn't even have a TikTok account. And the more that I'm learning about it, Jocelyn, I am actually happy that he's not on it because absolutely, oh my, I, I get lost in TikTok. And I mean, I'm going to leave this to you to talk about how, again, my biggest question was how to help parents navigate the emotions that their children are going through. Because as I just said before, you have 13, 14-year-old girls and boys, for that matter, that 
are on this and they're comparing their life to people that number one, I just learned about filters. Oh my goodness. Oh yeah. I mean, that's a, that's big thing on Instagram and Snapchat. And I, I would just say, first of all, part of the difficulty is what exactly what you said, which is similar to you. I, I'm never on TikTok. I did get on Snapchat when my daughter left for college because she said she wanted to send me some snaps. So I'm like, fine. I don't, I don't send anything back to her. I just get them from her and they're just pictures of what was happening at college. So, but that's part of the challenge is as parents, we don't fully understand, right, these apps that they're using mm-hmm. and, that, and that our sons and daughters are using. And so what tends to happen or what can happen is that if we get too anxious about and, and worried as we do as parents about what's going on there, but we don't understand it, the tendency is to start talking or I might say lecturing young people about the evils of social media. So in my opinion, and in a lot of the research shows, when you talk about changing behavior of young people, and we used to do this and work on this on college campuses too, when you talk about um, stages of change with young people, that talking to them about not doing something that they like to do is ineffective, right? So especially as an adult, maybe a peer could get away with it, but as a parent or an adult, the lecturing or whatever is usually going to, if anything, have the opposite effect. Now, maybe 20 years down the road, they'll remember Oh, my mom told me that that was not a good idea. And she was right. It wasn't a good idea. But at the time, it tends to be more of you don't know what you're talking about type of thing. Yes. So my recommendation, if I would give any kind of advice on this, is to be able to engage and talk to your son or daughter about what they're doing. If they're watching a video on TikTok or any place else, just to be able to say, what are you watching? Now, sometimes not in an accusatory, like I need to know what you're doing on there, because obviously we do need at certain ages to have parental controls over, I mean, apps a hundred percent. You are not just going to have like a six or seven year old just tooling around on these apps and looking at anything at that So this is part of just being a parent now is having those controls over time spent, having controls on what they're looking at, that kind of thing. But if they're within the parameters you've set up and they're laughing at a video to just say, oh, what are you looking at? And to just give them the sense that you want to know what's what they're doing. What are they enjoying on there? What is it that speaks to them? And then that way, if they feel comfortable talking to you about what they're looking at on TikTok, those are the opportunities you have. That opens up a space for you to say, oh, you know, so you can watch a video and you can like enjoy it together. And then you can say, you know, I saw this whole article about how on Instagram, everybody is is putting on um, is basically editing their images so you know the images actually aren't aren't really accurate let me send it to you let me send it to you so you can be, you can put in little informative bits of information without them getting defensive that's the goal mm-hmm. 
you're generating a conversation about social media without them knowing that that's what you're doing. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I think that it hits the nail on the head in a sense that if you show your son or daughter that you know what's going on, sometimes that can backfire and they'll just close up like a turtle, you know? So I think just fine. And and that's something that I think is important for parents and even college students for that matter, to understand the intergenerational differences between all of us, because I think our generation, we have that discomfort with this. And I know for myself as a career counselor, I've always had that you know, that mama bear in me, not only for my son, but for my students to, you know, I'll see some of the things that are posted. And I think, be careful, because that's going to come back to you in about five years when, you know, ABC company is recruiting and they're, you know, that could be a whole episode on just the, the future ramifications of some of the things on there. But the now with, you know, young generations that are on there, I think I love the way that you are illustrating the importance of having the conversation, working together so that they're not shutting you out, but putting in those little lessons of guidance because we didn't have that, you know? And and I think, I don't know, I, I think there's that whole mentality as parents of, oh, they'll figure it out. Oh, kids are resilient. The kids are fine, but they're not. That's something that I feel so strongly that I've seen, especially over the last two years, that We need to figure out a way to navigate this new world to support our children, to support our students, our, you know, our younger generations so that life does not become devastating. Because I I almost feel there's a correlation between what you mentioned earlier, Jocelyn, with that instant gratification. I need to fix things now. And the, the constant information that's coming at us from every angle of social media it to me the 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 phrase that i often think of is it's all too much yes it's over it's overwhelming and it's it gives you know if you're scrolling through and in a matter of 30 seconds you're viewing you know 20 people's uh, posts wherever they may be or tiktok videos or something it's a, such a rapidly progressive, you don't have time to even reflect on the feelings related to one to you're on to the next one. And by the end, you're just kind of like, like all the feelings, but there's no time to reflect on anything. Remember what I said about students being able back in the 90s before a lot of this social media came about to sit and reflect a little bit, but there's no time now. There's no time for reflection. And so I think that that's the piece where having the conversations that when they're younger, limiting those, limiting the time spent on social media so that there's not this habitual, because as we know, there's been all kinds of studies about the kind of effect on serotonin in the brain when you get a notification on your phone about something from a social media outlet. So there's they actually timed notifications to go along with the way the brain operates. And they've, the social media firms have studied this. Wow. And it's addictive. It's creating 
an addictive kind of behavior response. You hear a notification, you get a serotonin release or a dopamine release in the brain. And it's actually, you know, they they have looked at this and how they make sure that things are timed in such a way that it impacts the brain and people will continue to go back to it. So these are the bits of information that I feel like if young people have, they're, they're not going to like the idea that some corporation is, especially when you get to high school and, and college age, right? Some corporation is actually attempting to control what they're doing mm-hmm. on their app. That doesn't go over very well. And I don't think they step back sometimes and think that way. Mm-hmm. So these are the kinds of informational pieces that as you're having conversations about what they're doing on there, you can put out to them like, oh, it's so interesting because I saw this you know, like Facebook did research on Instagram and they had research that showed that it was having a negative impact on young women's self-esteem. And they did not share that. Obviously, it had to be a whistleblower who came out and said that the research was done. So they're not operating in the user's best interest. And I think that we need to develop a little bit of cynicism and a little bit of understanding of what these you know, social media sources are really about Mm -hmm. for in terms of marketing and what they're trying to to do, what's their end goal. And then for young people, especially as they get to the point where they can actually understand this, Mm -hmm. to be able to have a little bit of cynicism about what's going on here and then to use it to benefit them and to use it in the way that they feel like this is the way I want to be using this social media outlet, not the way they are controlling me to use it. Does that make sense? It does. And it's scary, but I can see it. And I think, you know, there's that entertaining aspect of it that, you know, many young people, they get hooked into TikTok and Snapchat and, oh, you know, I'm talking to my friends. And before you know it, you're scrolling. I mean, I'm guilty of this too with, you know, with reels. I'm I'm scrolling and scrolling. And before you know it, 20 minutes have gone by. I'm like, what have I just done? You know, but the little messaging in there, I think, can really create havoc on a young person's development. And that's scary. And and that's where I keep going back to, you know, how can we navigate this, this new world? Because it is new for parents. And I don't know about you, but I don't feel that we can continue to say they're fine. The kids are fine. Absolutely not. The the idea, the kids are never just fine on their own. I mean, back in the day before social media and when a lot of us were growing up, so we didn't have social media, it didn't mean that the kids are fine. I mean, there were lots of of issues going on. So kids need support. Kids need, they need a, a safe, loving, unconditional, positive regard environment to really thrive. And and we need as parents, it's our job and it's society's job, honestly, to protect them to some extent. I mean, that that doesn't mean that like put them in a bubble or wrap them in bubble wrap, but I still feel like emotions are okay. Having emotions is a good thing and not protect them from having emotions, but certainly protect them from being victims of other people using or abusing them through social media mm-hmm. or having access to to stuff that, absolutely no young person can manage or handle. 
because of their age. So there's all kinds of ways that we we need to be protective and aware for them um, to help them grow in a in a healthy way. That's that's kind of our job. Mm-hmm. And what would you say to a parent that is really struggling here, where maybe their son or daughter say they're in high school and they are struggling with anxiety, they refuse to go to counseling, they're addicted to their phone and their parents are just, they're up in arms. And they're like, I, I don't, I don't even know. Like, what would you say to them? I mean, it's very challenging. I will tell you that, you know, meeting with college students and asking them about, well, have you talked to your mom or dad about this? And here's what typically they would say back to me is, oh, I can't talk to them. And then I would sort of inquire about that. And honestly, there really wasn't nine times out of 10 any reason that they couldn't talk to them. It was this assumption Mm -hmm. that their parent wasn't going to get it, that they were going to. So that's number one. So you so you need to get across somehow to your child that you like you were that age once. You get it. Mm-hmm. You know it's hard. So whether you're telling a story about yourself completely unrelated to them talking about their problems, but you tell a story about yourself and how you struggled once, that's really good for them. That's very good for them. So that's that would be number one. And then also to say, you know, I'm not gonna judge you for it. So I think those two pieces together, that you went through struggles yourself, you're not perfect, and that if they come to you and say, I have this problem, many young people feel like my parent will judge me for it. They will be disappointed in me. They will be mad at me. And, you know, the number of times I had students who said, no, I can't talk to my parents about it. And then when they did, many of them chose to talk to their parents about it. They were like, I was, sh-. They, they would come back to the next session and say, I was shocked at how well it went. So it's not that they've actually tried and the parents have not responded well. It's this idea, and I remember this when I was younger, you, that your parents aren't going to understand it or that they will see you negatively in some way. And you get across the message, even if it's in a roundabout way, that you will be understanding that you get it and that you're not judging. And what I think parents tend to do sometimes, and I'm, I'm, I do this myself, is when we're anxious about things with our kids, we can say things that sound judgmental. Don't do this. Don't do that. You know, and this is bad. This is, and so that comes, can come across to kids as if I do that, I'm a bad person. Mm-hmm. And that's when they're not going to come to you. So it's a it's a way of presenting that I I get it. It's a tough time for you. Everybody's gone through it. I've gone through it myself. I really want to be here for you if you need it. And to just not give that feeling that they are going to be judged. I love that. And it's so important. And obviously every child is different. Every personality is different. It's, it's funny as you're saying that, I keep thinking of my son. He yeah. tells me I talk too much. <laughs> say stop talking (laughs) many children I think think their parents talk too much (laughs) yes yes well and and I think again it depends on the age where you know obviously middle school is hard high school can be hard college you know every stage of development has its own set of challenges and I think as a parent now you know I didn't appreciate this when I was young but 
now I can appreciate at every stage of their development, they're going to go through things. But I keep going back to the social media piece that it's something that we need to continually educate ourselves on as parents, as educators, as support staff, as counselors, because, you know, each individual human being is going to have their own journey with all this. And and that's something that, you know, again, there are some young people that they could care less about social media. Others, it, you know, it's their life. It's, it's, you know, they're doing TikToks and I worry about the ones where it can be devastating, right? Like if there's like a a girl and her boyfriend breaks up with her on Snapchat, I'm like, we didn't deal with that. It's just, so, and that's something that I'm finding. And I wanted to ask you your, your advice on this, where I've had many colleagues in the field of mental health counseling that they are inundated. They, there's not enough time in the day. There's not enough hours a week to service the amount of young people that are in need. And I think a lot of it obviously came from the pandemic, um, you know, from the isolation, from being remote, being in quarantine. What advice would you give to parents that are really in need of support for their children? And they just, there's nothing out there right now. What can they do maybe three weeks out, but they're like, I need something now. I mean, this is one of the biggest problems because we were actually just talking about this at a a state counseling meeting about funding more mental health resources within the state, especially for young people. It, as you said, it's absolutely true that, you know, private practice counselors and other therapists are completely booked. Part of the issue, I honestly feel, is that insurance is very difficult to work with for therapists. And so therefore, many therapists don't take insurance. So then you've got somebody who will take your insurance, but those people are booked like three months out. And then somebody who you have to pay out of pocket $150 a week to while you don't have that kind of money. So this is what we're running into in the state is really needing more funding for mental health practitioners. But I think that there are people at all different levels, whether they're in the school system and they're school counselors, whether they're at college and maybe somebody can't get into the college counseling center, but people like you used to work in career. There are other people who may not have the ability to do, let's say, full-on psychotherapy with a young person, but who can be a source of support. I would try to figure out who are those people, could be a coach, and ask them for, and granted, everybody's overwhelmed right now, but see who has some time to offer some support until you get to, to into an appointment with a therapist. And in the meantime, you can advocate at the state level for more funding for mental health resources for young people, especially COVID-related. It's, it's just been such an explosion that we need that, that funding. It really is... You know, we we have talked about the COVID pandemic and then the mental health pandemic. So that's where we are right now. But I would look to people at all different levels who can be of support to young people because there's a lot of people out there. 
Mm-hmm. I, I love that advice. And I love the way that you put that together just from a community standpoint in thinking about all of the support that we have in our life where it, yeah. you know, I'm not a clinician. I never have been, but I have worked with a lot of college students. And I think sometimes, you know, the word anxiety, the word depression, you know, all of these words are thrown out so easily now. Right. And yeah. I've found, you know, even working in higher ed for the past 20 years, I've found the increase in accommodations for students have skyrocketed. And it just makes me wonder sometimes, you know, are like, there are so many different stages of mental health issues that, you know, whether it's a severe mental health issue that you truly cannot be independent or, you know, like I've, I've been very open about this. I've struggled with anxiety for much of my adult life, but it's something that I've learned to cope with through yeah. behavioral health therapy, through running, through talking, you know, and, but yeah. some people don't talk, some people don't want to do that. So I think, you know, as parents to understand your son or daughter, as college students to understand your triggers, to know what resources are out there, whether you're in college, whether you're not in college, because there are many young people that choose not to go that route. You know, obviously we're, we're almost out of time. And I, I just, I, I would love to have you back on to talk about more of this because it is definitely something that I think it's important. And And I think the biggest message that I wanted to get out today was number one, for anyone out there that has been struggling, especially with what's been going on with social media and the pandemic and everything else that you're not alone. And it is so hard right now. And and for parents that have their children that are just really struggling with the isolation and the quarantine, know you're not alone. Lean in. You know, I'll say that a lot. Lean in. And and I guess the last thing I want to mention, just as an as an educator, for someone that has worked with college students, you know, back in the day, if I told my dad I wanted to go and be a counselor, he would always say, there's no money in it. Well, again, it's what career path are you meant to go down, right? Yep. What and I truly feel right now in the counseling world, you know, whether you want to be a licensed professional counselor, a social worker, a marriage and family therapist, an addiction counselor, we that could be a whole episode. There are so many opportunities right now. What advice would you give to a young person that is considering looking into the field of mental health counseling? Well, I think that you're right. There's this, and the current crisis has really opened up so many different types of positions and jobs in in fields, especially working with young people. So that's, you know, on that side, in terms of career opportunities, it, it's all there. I think that sometimes, so many people start out going into the field of mental health counseling or other mental health, behavioral health type of professions with thinking, I want to help people. And I think that's a very natural beginning for the process. But the only thing I would recommend is that can't be the ending. In other words, that doesn't mean that this is the field for you. And I'm Mm -hmm. not saying that to discourage people, but if you, there are people who have difficulty listening to tragic and difficult stories every day. And it actually, they have cannot sort of separate emotionally because they are caring on a certain level and they typically it's harmful to them and it becomes an issue of burnout which we talk about in our profession all the time how many people can burn out and in in the current way we're operating since we're so understaffed in terms of mental health practitioners 
then what's needed is so much and people are feeling so much like they want to give to other people that they themselves are not in a healthy place. So think, I would suggest thinking about the core I want to help people is good. And then also saying, do I think I could do this work? If I picture myself 20 years down the road, do I think I can do this work and still maintain my own wellness um, still maintain my own mental health and really figure that out or at least start to explore that um, as you start exploring the profession. Because I think some people get surprised by that at some point in their programs and they're like, wow, I didn't realize that this is, you know, it is listening to people struggling and having real challenges and difficulties. And you have to go about that in a empathetic but also professional way and the ability to combine those two is really crucially important I that think is, that, that would be my suggestion I it and what you've just said is so important and it is truly at the core of my belief as a career coach and career counselor and, and you know it's and it's interesting because you can illustrate that you had a, a bachelor's degree in English and back then mental health counseling wasn't even on your radar. And the same for me, I had a bachelor's degree in business and finance, and it wasn't until my late twenties that I made the decision to go back and get my master's in counseling. And there are so many people out there and, you know, you hear about that all the time. I I like people. I want, I want to help people. Well, there are so many ways to help people and, you know, kind of the student that goes to college, they want to be a doctor. And then they realize that, well, I don't like chemistry or biology. Yeah. So, so, but no, this is incredible advice. And I, I really, really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us and to share your knowledge and your expertise. Uh, This will definitely not be the last time that you come on and talk to us, Jocelyn, on behalf of our audience, from everybody at Unpacking Perspectives. I really appreciate you coming and talking to us. Um, You know, sometimes with guests, I'll say, how can our guests reach out to you? I don't know if you want them to. No, I'm kidding. I mean, but, you know, if anything, I mean, obviously you are, you know, at Fairfield University. I think if any students or or people that are, you know, considering the field, if it's okay, we'll put in our show notes um, information about Fairfield University and the counselor education program, because that's um, obviously there's a need out there. Yes, I'd be happy to talk to them about going forward in a career in counseling and that sort of thing. Be be happy to do that. And I so appreciate, Nicole, you bringing this issue to the forefront in your podcast. Really, everything you're doing with this podcast, I think, is so important. I appreciate you calling me in and be happy to come back anytime that you need me. Thank you. I appreciate that. And for all of our listeners, if there are other topics that you would love us to talk about, let us know, send us a message because this is obviously important to all of us. So anyway, well, thank you everyone for listening. Jocelyn, thank you for joining us and everyone else until next time. Thank you so much for listening to our episode today. Remember, if you spend too much time thinking about the final destination, you might actually miss experiencing the journey. I would be so grateful if you would share this episode with anyone that you think might enjoy listening. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast. If you leave a review, even better. You can follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Unpacking Perspectives Podcast or email me at unpackingperspectivespodcast at gmail.com. You can also check out my company website, NMD Careers, with any additional questions. Thanks again, everyone. Until then, have a great day.